millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to the Raptors Over Everything podcast. I'm your host, William Liu. Joining me on the show today is a very special guest, Raptors 905 lead assistant and... Wolf Nighthawks coach and general manager Charles Kissy. Coach, thanks for your time. Thanks for having me. I'm uh, looking forward to it. So, uh, before we get into anything else, I wanted to kind of get to know you and the listeners to get to know you. Um, you got obviously a very, very impressive title. Take us through your career from your days of playing McMaster to now being with the 905 and the Nighthawks. Like, how did you get here? It's <laughs> <laughs> a good question. Um, yeah, listen, I've been very fortunate. I uh, I played basketball at McMaster, um, you know, graduated uh, and then moved into uh, policing. But while I was doing that, I was uh, I was a community coach. So I worked, I, well, I worked, I volunteered, I coached um, with the Scarborough Blues. That was my sort of first coaching um, opportunity uh, with the Scarborough Blues team and a great organization, and they were awesome. Um, and so I coached the girls team from grade nine to grade 12, um, you know, they all graduated and moved on. And then I got an opportunity uh, with Ryerson under head coach Sandy Patti at the time uh, as an assistant. So that was my first sort of, you know, foray into, you know, university basketball or sort of a higher level of basketball. Um, and so that I did that for a year. And and uh, in that year, Sandy had actually uh, been, was diagnosed with cancer. So she had to take a, a leave. Um, and so I took over the job, as you can imagine, after, um, you know, a year of, of, you know, just learning. I was learning so much from, from, from Rob, who was an assistant there, Rob Wright and Georgia. And, they were, they're, you know, I was just trying to figure it out, even as an assistant, and what this league was about and, and all the prep and scouting, all the things that went with it. Um, anyway, I was thrust into a head coaching job, right? And uh, which was interesting because you know, people say, when I hear them speak and people ask me, lots of different coaches ask me about being ready. Um, and it's kind of like having kids. I don't know if you're ever really ready. You just figure it out. You just go in and do it and you get that experience. That's the way you learn. So, um, you know, I, uh, I did that for two years. And then from there, um, I moved to, uh, I took another coaching job or coaching volunteer coaching position in Waterloo. While I was working in Toronto uh, with the, with the, um, um, Tri-County Thunder, a team, a girls team out there. And then I, uh, while I was doing that, I, I got a Raptor internship. Uh, uh, you know, I was busy. I was driving all was, over the place. I was going to say, how are you doing Starbro, all Waterloo. <laughs> I was just doing whatever <laughs> to just try to learn and get better and figure it out, right? I mean, I know people say it now, and I'm sure everybody's heard lots of coaches say it now, but, like, you know, head coaching experience is invaluable, and you have to get it and just make those mistakes and, you know, sort of grind through it. And it doesn't really matter what level you're doing at that. Just get as many reps as you can. So that's what I was doing. Um, and then, you know, that turned into an opportunity, obviously with the Raptors and uh, under Dwayne Casey at the time. And then that turned into a, a head coaching job on the men's side at Brock University, where I spent five years um, building that program, um, you know, to sort of ending with a national tournament appearance. And then from there, I went to the Raptors 905. 
uh, where I've spent the last two years. So uh, just a very straightforward path, you know, like no detours, nothing. Um, <laughs> no detours, no disappointments, no nothing, just part of the deal. <laughs> now, um, you know, was it always your goal to, you know, get into coaching? Like what, what drew you to coaching in particular? Obviously, you mentioned you played a lot of basketball. Um, I looked up a little bit. I tried looking up a little bit uh, of your McMaster career just to get a sense uh, of, of what you were like as a player. But uh, obviously you had the passion for the game. Like, w- was it always your goal to get into coaching? And, and what specifically drew you to that? Um, yeah, nothing. You didn't miss anything from my career. My team was really good. Oh, come though. on. I, I heard you guys won, like, two championships <laughs> or something. That's pretty good, uh, man. We got, we, got to the, we got to the national tournament. Okay, okay. Um, and we're upset a few times. Uh, but, but um, you know, we had, I had a great team. I had a great, uh, great leaders. Obviously, Joe Razzo was a great coach. Um, and, um, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't basketball coaching. If you had asked me then, Hey, do you want to be a basketball coach? I would have, it wouldn't have been on my list of things to do. I had, I had a list to be honest of things to do. Uh, but coaching basketball was not one of them. It was teaching that, that was, um, the sort of the catalyst for it. Right. I wanted to teach. Mm-hmm. Um, and as I fleshed out what that teaching looked like, it, it sort of just appeared. I think it was probably year three with Scarborough that I realized that, you know, maybe, maybe, yeah, year three or four, um, my third or fourth year with them, that it's like, you know what, maybe I should explore this a little further because I am teaching. Mm-hmm. You know, I finally sort of discovered that I wasn't coaching basketball per se. I was teaching um, a game and life through sport and all these other things that I quickly realized were so much more valuable than just simply the, the, the orange round ball. So, um, yeah, I, w- I got, you know, sort of fortunate to, make that realization and, and understand that, Hey, if there's an opportunity for me to teach, which is what I was most interested in, uh, you know, I would take it and do it. And so far, uh, so good. That's awesome, man. That's really awesome. Um, now you mentioned earlier that, you know, you had the chance to be in the apprentice coaching mentorship program under Dwayne Casey. This was back in 2012, 2013. Uh, what was that experience like for you and sort of what stood out to you about the way Casey and his staff coached and like, what did you take from that experience just being around a pro team? Yeah, I think, well, first of all, you, I think as you move uh, to different levels, you realize how little you actually know, you know, and <laughs> okay. I think that's probably the same everywhere. Uh-huh. Um, you know, you think you got to figure it out and then you go to a different level and you're like, Oh my goodness, I got to start over almost. Right. Like, you know, not exactly, but you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I think it's just so much to learn. Um, you know, I think that experience for me, just so much detail and so much, you know, um, yeah, detail and work and, you know, it's a lot. And you wonder people, you know, I don't know if people have an appreciation. I mean, the size of staffs are obviously big um, and there's a lot of work to do. I mean, there's just stuff. There's so much, especially now with, with analytics and data, there's just, there's a lot that can be done uh, and there's uh, a lot of work to do. So, um you know, and that's, and that's just the way it is right now. And maybe that will change. Maybe it'll go back to simpler times. And I doubt, you know, I doubt it, man. <laughs> as you and me both, I doubt it. So, you know, we're just, we're continuing to pro- progress. Um, and so for me, it was like, what stood out was the amount of detail, the amount of work, how hard you need to work to really be good at it. Um, you know, we obviously see the Raptors have had tremendous success. I mean, as much success as one could have winning a championship. Um, but the reality is that's built over time and, and that's, it's not like, you know, one year, I think even, even coach nurse, like the, you know, being an assistant and sort of building mm-hmm. up and all of his experiences help him to that point. Right. And, and help him, you know, help get the team over the edge. And so, um, 
you know, for me, it was that it was like the amount of work and detail and, and effort and, you know, all of the things that seem really obvious, but you know, when you're at different levels, I, you know, it's hard to appreciate what's really going into, you know, the, the, the 48 minute games that you're seeing, right. There's a, there's a lot that goes into it and it's hard to really appreciate it if you don't, if you're not in it, if you don't see it. Right. For sure. Um, now, so you get that internship, you know, it's, it's a great thing to have in your resume. You obviously take a lot of experience from it. You go, you get to Brock. Um, and at the time, you take over a four-win team, and within a few years, uh, you magically turn that program into one of the best in Canada. And, you know, I, I guess what I really wanted to ask you was sort of like, what do you miss the most about coaching, um, you know, that uh, that team, that program, and, and even just coaching at that level, at the university level? Hmm. It's interesting. It's a, it's a double-edged one for me. I think... Um, you know, I miss the players. I think that's the obvious one. You miss a lot of times, you know, those relationships you have with the players and and not that they're all gone, but, you know, just the, the daily practices, you know, being in there with them and, and the, the war zone atmosphere, you know, you kind of miss that. You miss, um, you know, the conversations like in our in the office, you know, with, with the guys about things that have nothing to do with basketball, right? Life and relationships and all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, road trips, just like, you know, some of the things that that are more humane, I guess, than less about competition, mm-hmm. right? Um, you know, you miss, you know, watching these guys go through the, their struggles. Like, not that it's, you know, I just think it, it helps round them out, right? And, and, you know, them figuring out, okay, I got a test tomorrow, and then I got, you know, a game on Thursday, and that whole balance as these young men are sort of figuring that out. I think that's, you know, you miss helping being you miss being a part of that process right and and helping them grow and and um and learn and develop into these young men i think that's that's a big piece of it um you know i think that that's that's definitely i would say is something that uh you know that if i was going to go back that's what i would look forward to is are those types of things right i mean obviously competition is what it is but you i'm still getting it so i'm not you know necessarily missing being on the court and that type of thing uh, but certainly the the players in that aspect, I would say. Um, and you know what? I'll, I'll give you one more thing. Is probably we developed a really cool and and rather unique to to the current time uh, atmosphere at Brock as far as you know fan base and, and energy on campus and those types of things. I think you know after year one, I said a million times, I don't want to play in front of two hundred people. Like this is you know let's mm-hmm. let's figure this out. And so you know, eventually in a couple of years, we were playing in front of sold out gyms and, and, you know, in ultimately in arenas, right. With thousands of people. So being able to build that and, and be a part of that building process, uh, you know, was fun. And, and it's neat because it's something that they still obviously use today, or maybe not this upcoming season with yeah, sports being canceled, yeah. but, but they will continue to use it as, you know, as a sort of a piece, um, you know, of, of their infrastructure, I guess, at the university, which is kind of neat. Yeah, that's awesome. You you always want to like take over something, and then you know when you end up leaving from it, you want that situation to be better um, for your, your presence. And I think you can definitely say that about uh, you know your time at Brock. So how how did you get... we're caretakers? Well, exactly, right? Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, how did you get from Brock to the nine hundred five? Like, what was that process like? Uh, was there like a recruitment? Who approached you, and um, what drew you to, to to coaching in the G League? Yeah, well. I'd say Jamma, you know, was the first part head coach. Okay. I think, um, you know, obviously I, I'd had a relationship with him and known him a long time. And I don't 
I didn't have. I have. Mm-hmm. I didn't have. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. I have. <laughs> it's early. Uh, a, a relationship with him, and um, and so that was it. And I mean, when he you know took over the job, we him and I had a conversation about it, um, and and you know I, I was offered the opportunity and and a great one, and and really two things: one, to be able to continue to grow. Um, you know, as a coach at a different level, right? Continue to expand and challenge myself Two, to be able to work with an unbelievable human being. Like I, he's just one of, I've said this to him for years, is you're one of the best human beings walking the planet. Um, and, and, uh, and three, to be able to work within the organization that kind of gave me my first exposure mm-hmm. uh, to professional life. I thought that was kind of, um, you know, fulfilling and interesting and neat. Um, and to be able to do it at home, there's just not, you know, the Raptors are so unique because they, they, they employ and obviously hire a lot of, um, you know, Canadians, local, you know, uh, coaches. Right. And so that's, I feel like that's relatively unique because most teams, you know, they have coaches that, you know, maybe from LA and they're working in New York or whatever. Yeah. And so for me, I could be at home and do this job, uh, and work for the premier organization in, in the league. Um, and uh, and be a part of it. I think you know, for me, it was like an opportunity you just don't pass up. Uh, now, I hope you don't mind me prying, but like you know, you mentioned you know you and Jama have had this relationship going back a couple of years. Like, um, yeah, just tell me about that. Like, when did you guys get to know each other? What was he like? You know what I mean? Like, what was that history there? All right, you're opening a can of worms here. So, <laughs> okay. like, there's a Oakwood Jarvis. I don't know if they would call it a rivalry, and you know, they may have won a few games back in high school. And, okay, okay. Yeah. You know, you may have won a few games back in high school, but no, we just, you know, like, you know, the basketball community is small, mm-hmm. right? Like you just know each other, you know, everybody uh, in one way, shape or form. And it may not even be six degrees of separation it might be three, right? You, we just kind of grew up. We played on, on a team together years and years ago. We played against each other once for sure at university when he was at UBC and I was at McMaster. Um, you know, we just one of those, we have mutual friends we had back then and now, you know, friends of both of ours, but, we um we just kept that relationship you know going and you know follow each other's careers and support each other like you know i think like all coaches should be doing um you know with 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 their colleagues and just you know we're not all in competition all the time i think that's an important mm-hmm. thing i think sometimes we have to you know put that hat down and and support each other and and help each other through things and um and so he was one of those for me that was you know really supportive and 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 uh and through my career and helping me progress. That's awesome. Man. That's awesome. Um, now with, with, with the Raptors, you know, coach Nick nurse, he, uh, he doesn't really like to, you know, pigeonhole his, his assistants. He likes to get them all a turn, you know, coaching offense, coaching defense, uh, or, or even coaching special teams. He likes to call it. Is that kind of the same way for Jama? Like, is that how he uh, approaches with the, uh, the assistants as well? Yeah, it's exactly it. We did that. Uh, you know, we had, rotations um where we would spend it was six games in a certain area um and then we you know we'd lock in in the latter half of the year but really gave you an opportunity to dive in and you know to be well better versed in in a certain area um it's easy and often you know especially in basketball sometimes you get you know pigeon not pigeonhole but you get labeled Mm -hmm. we'll say definitely um you know the defensive coach or the offensive coach or whatever Mm -hmm. it may be um, and so, you know, I think it's, it's, I believe it. And I, I think the Raptors organization believes it too. It's just, you know, get rounded and, and get to know all of it and, and, 
you know, and um, don't, don't, don't silo yourself, I guess, is the way to look at it. Right. And so, um, yeah, coach is pretty, he's really good at that. And, and we've spent a lot of, and we've even debated it back and forth in terms of, you know, the, the benefits of, of that perspective. But um, I think ultimately, you know, he's a, a groomer and a grower of people. And, and so um, as nurse, as coach nurses, right. So, so they uh, they believe in that, and and it and I think ultimately it works, and they've had obviously great success with it. Yeah, for sure. I mean, Nurse is like the perfect example of this, right? Because for so long it was sort of uh, he's the offense guy, he's he's going to coach the offense, he's got all these ideas, you know, and then he takes over the team, and all of a sudden it's one of the best defensive teams in the league, and it's just sort of like right. you know what I mean, like, right? Isn't that isn't that unbelievable? Yeah. So um, yeah, and it's it's to, it's to the point of you know all I think through this pandemic as you know people have had some time and there's been a ton of different basketball debates there's always these debates about what's more important offense or defense mm-hmm. and and I, I always say you need both mm-hmm. um and i think the raps and other good teams prove that you know i think they just prove that you, you you have to be balanced on both ends of the floor and be good on both ends of the floor um you know in order to be successful at a really high level yeah for sure um now, you know, this question I, I get asked a lot just about, like, you know, the integration between the Raptors and the 905. Like, how much integration is there between the two franchises? Um, is there sort of, like, a directive that comes from the Raptors down to 905? Like, how does that process work in terms of just, um, you know, I, I guess even for the coaching staff, like, how much autonomy do you guys have and how much do you guys try to adapt what the Raptors try to do? I mean, I would say that you have a lot of autonomy, but I think that, I think, and I think Jamma would say the same. I think the thing is this though. I mean, you're trying to prepare ultimately players to play for the Raptors, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Or, or in the NBA, but ultimately for the Raptors. So, so, you know, you're not to deviate too much. I don't know how much sense that would make necessarily. Right. right? Like, I mean, yeah, you can, you can play around and you want to try with things. And, but if we have O'Shea coming to us, O'Shea Brissett mm-hmm. and, or with us and then having to go play with the Raptors, we want to prepare. We want to make sure that as close as possible, this stuff is the same. The stuff that he's going to see there, you know, he's going to run um, the defensive tenants, all of that are the same. So he's not having to sort of, you know, shift mindsets back and forth, which he did this year. He had to jump back and forth quite a bit, right? Yeah. He didn't have to shift his mindset, but he'd certainly had to be up and down on a, on an hour's notice. Right. So, um, you know, part of our job, a major part of our job is to prepare them to, to be ready to play. Right. And to be able to go up there and play. Paul Watson's another example who got an opportunity, but, Think about it. If, if you know, he wasn't a two-way at the time, um, but if we had a completely different set of of, of actions, let's say, mm-hmm. and then he became a two-way, yeah, could he figure it out? Sure. But is the transition and the learning curve a little easier for him, right? Having the same and similar processes? Uh, most definitely. So I think that's, you know, that's an important piece. And so that's why there's there's that sort of fluidity between both. Uh, now you mentioned O'Shea. I mean, he's like the perfect example, right? The Raptors have a whole bunch of injuries. Um, they got to go. They got to reach down. Now, obviously, for you guys, it must be really tough to, you know, okay, one of our best players is not available today because uh, the Raptors, you know, got an injury. That must be tough to deal with. But, um, you know, just for, for you, obviously, you know, you see O'Shea and you work with them and stuff like that. Like, what, what stands out about his game and sort of his approach to um, just the work and everything like that? And, and why do you think that's made him successful so far? Well, you just said it. He works, yeah. right? The kid works, and I mean to call him a kid. He's a he's a grown man. He's, he's got a kid he's now. A, he's an adult. He's a father, yeah. so he's not a kid anymore. But you know, he's a man that works. He just works really hard, um, and he wants to get better. 
Um, he's extremely, extremely, and I hate to use this term, but he is coachable. Mm-hmm. Like he's receptive to feedback and, you know, um, and, uh, and again, like, you know, again, part of our job is to help him through this process and, and he's been exposed to some great things and, and he's done well for himself because he just is committed to learning and he's committed to growth and his own development. Um, and so that's what stands out about him. He's just fully committed. There's not like this crazy ego that goes with it. It's just like, how do I get better? What can I do? You know, he's, he just, he does all the simple things that I think we are starting to take for granted, Mm -hmm. right? Because we see these players with such high levels of skill. Um, and we just assume sometimes maybe that we teach these one or two moves, they'll be there too. And (laughs) it it doesn't work that way. You know, it just doesn't work that way. It's a process. Um, and I think everyone's proven that now, but, you know, I think, um, he's, he's just a committed young man. And, and so, you know, he's had a great level of success because of it. Yeah. I mean, I, I thought one of O'Shea's best moments this year was, you know, the Raptors get beat at home on Christmas. Okay. That, that sucked. But then they get to play the Celtics like two days after in TD garden right. and O'Shea comes in the fourth quarter. He, he gets in all these offensive rebounds to get extra possessions. You know, he has turns guarding Kemba. Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, like it, it's it's tough, but he he went into that game and he was fully prepared. He was ready. He he did it. He, he did his job, and you know, I was clear that you know he he's a guy who can defend and, and really um you know just find ways to contribute. But in terms of development and things like that, are there specific areas that you know at the nine hundred five that you guys are trying to focus and sort of uh, grow and nurture with O'Shea's game? Yeah, I mean, I think well, obviously all parts. I think understanding of the game. I know you know Coach Smith. Uh, Ryan on our staff spent a lot of time with him uh, working on his shooting, which has improved tremendously. Um, you know, I think he's just, you know, there's lots of different pieces of his game. I think his shooting was one. And like I said, uh, Ryan spent a, <clears throat> excuse me, a great deal of time working with him on that. And, and he's improved dramatically. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, nobody's, nobody's sitting back on him anymore, right? Like those days are over and, and he ended those, those days pretty quickly. And that's the beauty of, guys like that right it's like okay you're gonna sit back five feet and let me shoot the three see me in a month Mm -hmm. you know see me in two months you're not gonna be doing that anymore right and so that's sort of the beauty of of guys like him he's just like fully committed he's humble enough to understand you know where his weaknesses are and he just goes after it and works on it and I think you know I think that I'll say this about you know the Raps organization they're loaded with players like that Mm -hmm. you know loaded with players who are you know humble and ready to go you know, and I think that's like important. It's an important uh, piece. It's an extremely important attribute uh, that, again, is something that I think is often overlooked because we focus so much on the skills and the, you know, but the skills can be developed. You know, the personalities and the character can be developed, um, but it's so much easier to develop those other pieces if you come in with the right mentality. That's a great point, man. It reminds me a little bit of the Spurs, you know, back in the day when they, they used to say, I think Popovich used to say, um, you know, they want the players, they want to recruit players who are over themselves. You know what I mean? And, Love you it. know, I think that's exactly it. I think the Raptors, I mean, you look at a guy like Pascal, right? Probably, you know, the number one option on the team. I mean, he always talks about how much he loves improving. He's like, I don't care if I miss these shots or everything like that. Like, it's it's all about the work. It's all about the progress. And and failure sort of baked into it. And he loves the whole process. And, and I mean, I mean, <laughs> I mean, I don't know if you can find a, a better success story in terms of just, like, hard work. Then Pascal uh, and the way he's grown his game. Um, and Fred. I mean, look Fred at Fred's too, yeah. another great example of that. I mean, these guys are like, you know, super humble, clutch, 
NBA players. Yeah. I mean, if you watch the playoffs, they and you know what's been interesting about those guys? If you're just I'm talking strictly on a fan, if you're paying attention as a fan, you've gotten to watch them grow yeah. rapidly. You know, you've gotten to watch Fred's game evolve evolve quickly. Um, but but on the inside, you know he's working. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. you know he's putting in that work to to improve his game every year. And so it's been neat to to see that as a fan. I mean, you've got to be excited about seeing these guys continue to develop right in front of your very eyes, Terrence Davis, mm-hmm. like all these guys who are, you know, who are becoming fan favorites, but they're working and they're doing it. You know, the, the Raptors um, development process is, is, is gotta be the best in the league, you know, in terms of what, you know, you're seeing these guys that people, you know, well, they were a second round drop pick or whatever, yeah, yeah. you know, they have all these comments for them, but look at them now mm-hmm. they're, they're NBA champs and you can't ever take that away from them either. Right. Exactly. Um, now, you, you know, you also got another guy this year, Paul Watson. Um, you know, I, I, I believe he joined you guys sort of midseason and things like that. Um, you know, but he, he, he might be a little bit lesser known just because, you know, to, to Raptors fans and there's a lot of the audience here. Um, you know, he only got to play, I think, one or two games. But, um, you know, what stood out to you about sort of, you know, Paul's game and stuff like that? And it, it seems like he's also a guy where maybe a little bit of a late bloomer, but he's really come on strong now to the point where he's gotten a couple of NBA looks um, you know, de- you know, describe his game and sort of, you know, what stands out to you about it. Yeah, it's just, it, a lot of the same. So Paul joined the 905 staff uh, or team, sorry, this year um, after um, Gemma and myself coached a team in uh, the G League select team in Uruguay okay. uh, this fall. And Paul was on that team. Um, and we just, we, I mean, we we're impressed with all of the players we had on that team. Um but, uh, you know, later on, there was a move and our GM, Chad Saunders, Sanders, sorry, traded uh, for Paul. And, and I know Jamma was, you know, Jamma and I both were huge fans. I mean, he just, we ran a lot of the stuff we ran in the summer um, or in the fall with, with this team. Sorry, let me go back. We ran a lot of the 905 Raptor stuff mm-hmm. with this fall team and Paul just flourished in it. You know, he was like unfazed by the new learning. He shot the ball really well. He just did everything really, really well. He fit into the system really, really well. Um, so when we got him on the on the Raps team, on the 905 team, I don't know, it was a seamless transition. He just, you know, it kind of flew under the radar, I think, for a little bit. And people, it was probably like a, a high-flying stock where people were like, okay, this is going to fall at some point. Uh-huh. And it never did. Uh-huh. You know, it never did. He shot close to 50%. He just kind of kept going uh, and then ultimately earned himself, you know, um, you know, a 10-day. I think it was Atlanta first, mm-hmm. yep. right? And then the Raptors obviously two ate him later. But I think, you know, he was somebody that was in the gym. He's just working. He's shooting. You know, he's working on his, his, um, his areas, his needs of, of improvement, um, you know, and he just is committed to it. Like, this is a guy that, you know, I think I think the one thing that, that people have to appreciate is that, you know, fit matters. You know, I think, you know, we look at players and say, ah, that guy's not very good, but maybe if he was in a different place, he could be extremely good. Maybe, you know, there's situations and we think about it at all levels where, you know, coaches or players or organizations, whatever it may be, club teams may not be getting the best out of that young athletic player or whatever it is. Right. Um, And so, and that's not a knock on anybody. It's just that sometimes, you know, I had players at Brock that just, I couldn't get the most out of them, you know, yeah. uh, and yeah. some players that I could, it's just, that's what happens. And, and I think our job, our tasks as, 
as coaches is to try to get the most out of every player, um, not to just identify weaknesses necessarily and fix them, which is sometimes often a sort of a pretty easy mechanical approach, but um, but to, to, to holistically look at somebody and think about, okay, well, what, what can I do to get the most out of them? Sometimes and usually and almost always it starts with building relationships, but uh, you know, how can I tag onto this to get the most? And Paul was somebody that, you know, we, I guess we were able to do that. You know, Jamma was able to do that because we did it and now he's on a two-way contract and now he's in Orlando with the Raptors. Yeah. I mean, it's like, it's like one of the greatest stories of the season, I think, because, you know, as far as, you know, guys that, you know, you think back even to like Derek Cook last year who wasn't playing, you know, he got traded to uh, from um, Northern Arizona to our team and just had a fantastic season. Mm -hmm. Right. And it's not like I'm not pumping our tires or maybe I sort of am, but, but in a, in a way it could be the reverse, like, right. It just, it's all about a lot of times, you know, going to the right place that that's the right fit and that has the right, you know, whether it's coaches or, or system or whatever. Right. Cause I think it all matters. And again, the opposite is probably true, but, um, but I think fit matters. And I think Paul found a situation for himself that, that really worked that allowed him to, play the way he thinks and believes and we now know he's capable of playing and I think people will see him you know thrive in the future in the NBA I think he's going to have a really good career and and uh and he and you know he presents well he's got a lot of really good attributes that will will serve him well moving forward yeah for sure I mean I I don't know um you know how the Raptors and I guess the 905 as well I don't know how you guys find all these players all these talented players like People aren't looking, you know, looking for or whatever. Because if you look at Paul Watson, you know, obviously he's taking a step in his three-point shooting, but you know, shoots a three really efficiently now in a high volume. Um, he's he's very athletic. He's he's got some really incredible dunks, and he's also like six eight. And he defends, and he's humble. He's coachable. What's <laughs> what's going on? Like I don't know how you guys are all missing it. Maybe they're not all going down to you know uh, Montevideo to to go watch them or, or coach them or something. But uh, <laughs> yeah, it's it's really impressive. Um, and I think another success story in that front is, you know, obviously everyone knows the 905 is this incredible uh, program. You know, you, you you have obviously Pascal and Fred and to a lesser extent, you know, even Norm, DeLon, you know, Yaka Pertl. Like there's there's many proofs of concept. But I, I think one of the coolest stories from the 905 is also a guy like Chris Boucher, who um, I believe you got a chance to, you know, to, to coach um, down there. I mean, he was what named G League MVP, Defensive Player of the Year. And and now obviously you see him you know making impacts with the Raptors like you know quite regularly this season. I think he's had a really nice year in terms of um, you know he played a big part in that thirty point comeback. Um, you know he played a big part in that win over against the Lakers on the road. Um, just how proud are you to just sort of see Chris and where he is now and sort of his development and his his growth moving forward? Yeah, I always refrain from using the word proud. Like I'm, you know, somebody's, <laughs> I use that for my children. I okay. think I, right. I, I, but no, 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 it's just my own personal quirk. But I, I uh, you know, I'm extremely happy for him. I mean, our job is to help these guys, you know, be, we play a, a role in trying to help them achieve their, their goals. Right. I mean, so they really put in the work. I mean, obviously we're working too, but they, they're putting in the work and Chris put in the work and, he, and he's figuring it out. And again, like these are, you know, we forget these guys come in, they're 20, 21, 22, 23, 24. Like, I mean, they're young. Mm -hmm. Right. And so, you know, some of them have never had a job before, right. You know, all those little factors. Uh, and now this is their job and, and, you know, there's money involved, there's pressure, there's all these different um, things that, you know, the majority of society will never understand. Like, and I'm not saying I feel bad for them in any way. I'm saying that it's a different type of pressure 
um, that, you know, uh, that um, from, you know, from a relative perspective that, you know, it's hard for people to understand. So, you know, Chris is, I'm, I'm extremely happy for him because he's worked for mm-hmm. it. You know, if you know Chris's background, he's, 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 he's understood real pressure in his yeah. life, right? He's understood real, um, you know, talking about, you know, feeding yourself that type of pressure, not, you know, basketball pressure, but uh, he's, he's understood how to, you know, be resilient and figure out some of the things that, that, uh, you know, it takes to be successful uh, in, in a rather unconventional way, but he's figured it out. And so, uh, and he continues to figure it out. And that's part of our job is to help him figure it mm-hmm. out, help him get there, help him try to develop some of the habits, help him try to, you know, um, you know, develop the habits. When I say that, I mean, on and off the floor, help him, um, you know, develop some of the habits on the court that will make him successful. Hey, Chris, run really hard. Like when you watch Chris play in an NBA basketball game, that guy is yeah. giving everything he's got. Yeah. Right. And so, you know, you have to help them realize that that's valuable. It's not just like, scoring 30 points a game. I think O'Shea's figured that out, as you can see, right? Mm-hmm. You talked about the game the night in Boston or, you know, after Christmas in Boston, where he's he's doing all the other things. Yep. And that's what makes him successful. He's not just, you know, putting the ball in the hoop and taking every shot. He's doing all the other little things, defense, offensive rebound, running hard, you know, setting screens, all the stuff that, that uh, you know, allows sometimes the bigger names to be successful. So, um you know, I, th- I think that's what, what Chris has brought and, and I think his energy is great and he's obviously athletically gifted and, and he's continuing to develop. So I think it's fantastic for him. So I'm extremely happy for Chris um, and all the success he's had and all the success he'll continue to have. Um, now, I was looking into this and I thought it was a bit of a funny coincidence that both the Raptors and the 905 uh, are ranked second in defense this season. That, that can't be a coincidence. Um are there sort of obviously you spoke to sort of you know streamlining the process so that you know the communication is the same the, maybe the terminology is similar um, the, pro, the the systems are similar but it's sort of like the similarities and sort of just how the mentality of both teams approach you know defending specifically. Um, I think you know defensively, yeah. I mean, I think that we're we're very much the same in that in that sense. I think we uh, you know we have the same tenants without getting into details because Raps are trying to win another <laughs> one, but. Uh, <laughs> Um, you know, <laughs> we don't want to give any of those away, but, but I think, yeah, I think, you know, we have a lot of the same principles and, and, and so it makes it easy, right. It, it makes it easy. And I think, um, you know, again, when you're talking about players going back and forth and, and so on and so forth, the, the best thing is to keep it simple and to keep it consistent. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and the, the biggest thing, and I give credit to, to the staffs, uh, for doing is to keeping the athletes engaged, keeping the players engaged defensively, right? A lot of teams, and you see it, a lot of teams aren't engaged all the time oh, defensively. I mean, I'm I'm knowing what's happening, and I'm watching the rap sometimes, and I'm thinking, man, you know, like the genius of, of Coach Nurse and his staff is not just, you know, being creative and switching defense and switching off and stuff like uh-huh. that. It's like getting them to play hard and buying in and, and doing that every night. Mm-hmm. Every night, you know, like I say that and it sounds simple and people will say, well, they're getting paid millions. They should. Nah, I get it. It's but still a job. You get know what it, I mean? like, you know, yeah. It's still a job, right? To get up every day, to get, be on the flight. To, again, not trying to make anyone feel sorry for these guys. It's just more that the consistency is impressive. Mm-hmm. And if you really, if you relate it back to anybody's normal job, you know, take it. Well, we all have normal jobs, mm-hmm. but you know what I mean? Like, um, if you, if you take it to an office somewhere, does everybody work hard every single day, all the time that they're on the phone? Yeah, like, right? Yeah, exactly. Like, that's what I'm talking about. And so, 
and and the difference is too we're not we're not doing physical jobs right like these are mm-hmm. running up and down banging around shoot like they're physical very demanding um jobs physically when you wake up i mean most people have a hard time working out it five days in a row mm-hmm. right and it's hard and i'm not knocking anybody that's like a real thing i do mm-hmm. I'll, I'll, I'll use myself i have a hard time doing it sometimes yeah. um so these guys are you know that's to me that's the genius is that they've been able to get them to, to buy in on the defensive end night in and night out without issue and they've you know, thrive because of it. Now, when it comes to defense for you guys, like, um, you know, how much do you incorporate analytics into sort of something like that? I'm not really sure how the analytics work maybe at the 905 level. I know for the Raptors, they got all these fancy cameras and, you know, they're, they're tracking everything. Like, you take a shot in practice, someone, there's a there's a data point somewhere. Um, but, like, just how much do you guys use analytics in, in your coaching process and, and, and sort of what's too much analytics and what's, you know, not enough analytics in your opinion? Yeah, I think that's a tricky one, right? Because mm-hmm. it's evolving, and and so, I the thing I always say about analytics is this: it's it's a tool to help inform your coaching, right? It, you don't, I don't know if you necessarily coach because or through the analytics necessarily, right? It's a it helps inform your coaching. It helps you make decisions. It doesn't necessarily always make the decisions for you, um, okay. always, right? So I think. Uh, you know, you're out there, you're coaching the game and, and you have to make decisions. And I think, yes, you can use the, the data to inform the decisions that you're making without question. Um, but there's a human element too to the game that, that analytics maybe remove or don't account for or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like uh, getting, getting, as I just mentioned with coaching and the staff and, and, and our staff, for example, getting players to play really hard. Well, there's no like analytical, you know, number necessarily for that. Um uh, and maybe there is that I'm not aware of, but, but that's something that you, you can't really account for in how somebody rebounds or, you know, you can't account for in how somebody, you know, does anything really. So, so um, yeah. So, I mean, I think, I think you use it as a tool and I think, you know, we use it a lot and, and obviously the raps use it a lot. Uh, and I think it's an important tool to use. Um, and I think you, you have to sort of find because there's so much, uh, there's so much information. You got to really figure out how you want to use what uh, points of information because you can't use it all. Mm-hmm. It's just way mm-hmm. too much data and information. You know, make most people's heads spin. Um, and so we have to figure out a way uh, to, you know, all teams and we do too. Like, what's important to us? And we're constantly looking at certain things. Okay, say, so, well, that doesn't really apply to us. Okay, let's get rid of it and use this, mm-hmm. or let's start tracking this, or right, like, and, and figuring that out. And I think that's an important process. And I think teams need to go or player coaches or whatever level you're at need to sort of go through that understanding of how are you going to apply this data to your team with your dynamics, the players that you have uh, and so on and so forth. Right. I don't know if that answered your question. But. No, I mean, that's, that's totally fair. That's totally fair. Um, and I, I think when you look into the numbers too, it feels like the more you look into it, sometimes there's like things that will contradict each other. You know what I mean? And I think, the one thing with the numbers, it always seems like that is uh, really objective. It's really cold, cold, you know, stone hard truth because that's just what it is. It's a number. But at the same time, we see trends happen in analytics, you know, and it changes. And all of a sudden, philosophies change in terms of, okay, for one, for one day, it's like, look, 
it's never worth it to go crash the offensive glass. You got to get back in transition. Transition defense is the most important. Right. And all of a sudden now it's like, ah, maybe, you know, certain situations, this, this, and this, you can have more efficiencies. You can go get an offensive rebound. It, it maybe pushes everything forward. So I think especially, you know, with analytics, you just have to put into a, a lot of context in terms of who your team is, um, you know, who your opponent is, and, and sort of just the situation of like, does it make sense? You know what I mean? A hundred percent. And that's exactly what I mean. And thanks for saying it better than I did. I think like that's, that's exactly what I mean is it's completely, you know, you could one size doesn't fit all necessarily. Right. And so that's why it's, you know, you, we definitely use it. Um, there's no ifs, ands or buts. I mean, I, I would almost suggest the Raps are sort of the leaders as far as analytics departments go, but um, you know, but again, it's like, you know, every, everyone has to sort of figure out what works for you and your team and your, organization or your style of play or whatever right i mean i think it's completely you know different everyone everyone you look at milwaukee how they defend mm-hmm. and you know for example pick and rolls and they sit in a drop and a deep drop with brooke lopez protecting the paint and that's to protect the paint yeah, yeah. you know on the other yeah. end of the shot spectrum you know the, the the rim shot is the highest value so they want to take that away for example right um so again that's how they chosen to use that that set of information so Again, it's it's certainly different and specific to everyone, and, and you really context, as you said, matters, and you have to figure out who you are as a group and how you want to use it uh, for your group because you can't use it all. Right now, uh, you know, we talked a lot about the nine hundred five. Like, how much of the stuff do you take over to your job with the Nighthawks, and and, and you know, in terms of just um, you know uh, your your coaching philosophies, your experiences, obviously working with pro guys uh, and moving over to the CBL. Uh, a lot of it. I mean, what's unique about this year's CBL is that it's a it's a it's a tournament format, mm-hmm. right? Six game round robin and then single elimination. So, I mean, at most you're going to have nine games. You have a one week training camp. You don't oh, have man. a. There's not a lot of time. Yeah, there's, it's crazy. There's no. That explains no, why you're so busy. <laughs> yeah. So you don't have a lot of time to 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 build things in, or you know, and you quickly have to decide what's important, what's not. What do you you know? what your ratios are like, this is where the offense defense conversations come into play. Um, and you have to figure that out. So the one thing you, you certainly take is that your relationships are important. So you're trying to spend a lot of time building them now. Right. Um, and so, and then, you know, when, so that when we get into, you know, training camp, the asks become a little bit easier, right. Um, the demands become a little bit easier. So that's one piece. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it's, you take it all, you just have to pare down, you know, in, in terms of your planning, what's important and what's not. Prioritize, I guess, is the term, right? You've got to figure out, and that's what we're doing now, is just sort of prioritizing, you know, our training camp and, and what we're putting in and, you know, how we're teaching things and, and so on and so forth. Because, again, you got six days. It's kind of like Vegas Summer League, yeah, you know, in many I ways. Guess so. So I'm glad I was yeah. exposed to that because in many ways it, it, it very much is that. Um, and so, yeah, so that's, that's the process we're going through right now. Um, now, you know, you, you, you have, you're wearing both hats. You're, you're head coach and your general manager. Like what's that experience like? Like is that's, that sounds like so much work. <laughs> it is. <laughs> it's a crash course in, uh, in figuring it all out, mm. but it's, uh, it's been great. I mean, again, you know, experience is often the best teacher. And I think, you know, I'm getting to, to, you know, deal with agents, sign players, you know, negotiate contracts, uh, you know, put build teams, right. Yeah. Like I would have at Brock, but now there's a little more involved. Mm. Right. Um, you know, and, and so it's, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a really interesting, you know, it's funny when I'm, when I'm, uh, making decisions, I'm thinking about, you know, how 
you know, for example, Raptors decisions would have been made. And I'm thinking about, oh, that decision was heavily criticized. But now I understand why they made that choice versus this choice, mm. right? Because you're having to, obviously not on the same scale, but um, in many ways, the same idea. So uh, at least, you know, I've had, I have the exposure and I have, you know, supports around, you know, um, to, to assist in, in the process. But honestly, it's, it's been great to be exposed to that because again, like where, how else do you get exposed mm. to it? Right. And so this is relatively unique to be able to do both um, and to still keep the coaching hat on, but also have to, you know, run the team, you know, uh, from a personnel and sort of um, at least contractual budget standpoint. Uh, it's unique. It's different, and it's it's been really good. Yeah, I'm getting the sense just from this conversation that you you definitely have a you're definitely an ambitious guy. You definitely love to throw yourself into the fire instead of adapt, and that's really admirable, man. Because you know that is that is the best way to grow, for sure. Um, well, yeah, I mean, how <laughs> else can you? Again, like for me, and that's not it's not for everybody. For me, I'm I'm uh, you know if I wanted safety and security, I would have stayed in my other job. Yeah, exactly. You know, I think this you know as great as it was, I think this is. Um, you know, this life is short and there's seldom opportunities to, uh, you know, we don't always either get presented or able or have the resources to figure out how to create opportunities. Um, and so, you know, I've been fortunate to, to continue to sort of navigate and try to try to stay ahead and, you know, and try to, um, you know, figure out a path that that works. Because I think the the one thing that you know, people I asked a lot of when I was uh, years ago and probably still to this day, sometimes it's like, well, how did you get there? Mm-hmm. Right. Like that type of thing. People ask me that same question. And the answer that I got from everyone is that, well, everyone's past different, right? Like there is no direct line to any job in this world. Yeah. Right. Um, okay. Do X, Y, and Z and you'll get there. Like it just doesn't work that way. And so you have to, you know, be creative and figure out how you're going to do it. And sometimes that's, you know, um, you know, coaching in Scarborough, then driving to Waterloo and then moving to Niagara to work at Brock and then, you know, back to the Rats 105. Like whatever the path is, you have to figure that out for you. Um, and, you know, for me, I've never been too afraid of making those decisions and they're not easy ones for sure, but um, but uh, I haven't been too afraid of them. And they've, they've kind of worked out as far as my growth is concerned. Yeah, I mean, I definitely say it, it's paid off for you so far. Um, you know, when I took a look at your your, your coaching staff uh, with the Nighthawks, and you know, I, I was you know not to pat you on the back or anything like that because I think it's sort of implied, but I I think it was really important that you know you were able to sort of incorporate diversity into the into your hiring into your staff, and it's something that you know I think with the Raptors they've really taken a, a lead for this, right? You have Masai as the president of the whole organization, and he you know puts this extreme effort into um, you know. Uh, extending opportunities, whether that's here in Canada, whether that's, you know, extending more opportunities to include more women into his program. Um, you know, you have players getting coming from all over the world, but you also have uh, general managers coming from all over the world and, and, and it's a very diverse staff and things like that. I mean, is that sort of the same approach that you've taken towards, um, you know, your staff? Uh, obviously on a much smaller level in terms of hiring, but um, it's that as diversity is something that you try to keep in mind. Yeah, and and respectfully to the rappers, not because of the rappers, but because that's who I am in general. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, um, you know, I think, but I think it's important that obviously the Raptors have done that. And, and I think that's, you know, unbelievable. And I think, yeah, I just think it's important to give people opportunities. I think that's what, you know, people are sort of fighting for. I don't think people are asking for more. I don't, you know, more opportunities than other people. I think people are asking for equal opportunities, mm-hmm. you know, in many ways. So, um, 
you know, I, I've always been a believer of that. You know, I think um, I think we could do better as far as sport organizations in this country. Um, and I, no, let me go back. I think we need to do better mm-hmm. as far as sport organizations in this country, uh, specifically, but obviously in other areas as well. Um, and so, yeah, and building my staff, it was deliberate. It was, you know, um, you know, young old men, women, like you know, trying to figure out. As much as I could have, I mean, I have the biggest staff I think in the league <laughs> right now, <laughs> and so you can only hire so many people. Uh-huh. But, but, um, but trying to do my best to to keep it uh, balanced, um, because that balance perspective and approach is important. I believe that you know, I think you know, different voices creates different perspectives and and thoughts that we might not um, have thought about from different lenses, right? And I think that's important, and and I think representation is important. I think it's important to see for a young you know, female to see Wumi Agumbiade, who's on our staff, uh, to see her in that role mm-hmm. and to think, hey, that'd be neat. Maybe I can do that one day. And there, I know there are other examples, but but context then becomes important. So in Canada, there's not that many examples, yeah. right? And in Ontario, there are very few examples. So, you know, I think that um, becomes important. Uh, so, yeah, it was important, you know, um, to, to have that. It was important to have Arslan who's from Pakistan, you know, like mm-hmm. on the you know, on the staff and, you know, again, that, that balance as much as you can do it. Cause again, I could only hire so many people, but um, I think that balance is important. Uh, and I, and, you know, I think it's a responsibility. Let me say it this way. I've always thought this, it's a responsibility for coaches or people and I'm speaking specifically to coaches, but for anyone in position of um, power to, uh, to, to balance out their staff that mm-hmm. way. Not, and it's not like you have to hire a black guy or you have to, but, but you have to be aware that 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 um, multiple lenses is important. Yeah. Just like you would assign somebody to defense and somebody to offense and somebody to whatever, mm-hmm. right? It's a diff- you're just you're asking them for a different lens. And so sometimes you know that cultural lens or the you know the whatever the lens may be, the socioeconomic lens, whatever it is, allows you to do what I said was important at the beginning: those relationships. And it may allow you to connect with the player, or you know, you never know what the outcome may be but i i think ultimately um there's value in it and and we have to see the value and we have to not only see the value then do something about it and recognize that hey there's 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 a need for you know better balance for in all of our sport organizations and all of and and that's from top to bottom mm-hmm. um not just at the coaching level but like i, I talk a lot about you know administrators for example in the oua you know in the, in the ontario mm-hmm. league the university league you know there are no there's no um, ethnic or racial diversity in, in amongst those ranks, and yeah. we, that needs to change, right? That that we need to figure that out, and we need to understand that that impacts those below the coaches who may have issues, or the players who then may have issues, and have to run it up the chain. Um, you know, there's impacts there that are, you know, dramatic. Sorry to deviate too much, but like there's uh, there are impacts that are dramatic, and I think we have a responsibility to make sure that that we are, are balancing our approach uh, in hiring. And so that was my intent mm-hmm. moving into uh, Guelph. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, just speaking from my own experience, you know, you know, when you come to this country as an immigrant, like, you know, I think part of your responsibility now that you've, you know, I've, I've come here as a child, um, you know, I've, I'm now in the workforce and stuff like that, just keeping that door open so that there's more opportunities for other people. You know what I mean? Like it's, um, it, it can't be a situation where you come here and then you close the door you know what I mean? Because that, you know, <laughs> that's just that shouldn't be the way it works. And and I think you know if you see the value in sort of the way, um, and if you appreciate the way that you've been able to you know come through and everything like that, I, I think 
everyone who has that uh, perspective is able to um to try to do the same now i just got two more questions for you before i let you go man um you know you start this podcast uh, called talk about it um what's your goal with the podcast and what sort of messages or conversations are you trying to get out there yeah thanks for for asking about that that i mean the goal of the podcast was education mm-hmm. right i think that's like you know a pivotal part of of our society figuring out some of our issues. We have to start educating ourselves. I think that's a huge part of it. And especially when we're having these conversations, because that's another important piece. Um, you know, it's it's easier, it's better for all of us to be doing it from an informed standpoint. And so the podcast um, that, you know, I started was about, I said this earlier, it was kind of like the, the wire format, okay. right? So every, every episode five, focused on a different theme. Every episode, okay. Exactly, exactly. So... For us, though, or for me, I've done two um, episodes per theme. So two in education, mm-hmm. uh, you know, there'll be two in media. The one we just released with Donovan Bennett, Michael Grange will be uh, coming out next. There'll be two in sports. So we'll have two athletes. Dwayne Notice uh, is one. And Shanice Marcel, who's a beach a professional beach volleyball player, Canadian. Um, and then we'll go into the, the uh, legal world okay. the justice system okay. right and then uh and then business right and we'll look at these we'll look at sort of systemic issues of race in those fields right in those in those areas and i think you know and we could do more i just started and said i was going to do 10 mm. but because this is not my you know not my thing but it's but it's an important thing and i think education is my thing so this is the platform i'm using um, and so, yeah, I've been able to, to sort of dive in and tackle some of these issues uh, with our guests who have been tremendous so far. And it's gotten great uh, feedback. And, um, and again, it's called Think About It with Charles Kissing. So you can, you can look at it, find it on Spotify or Apple or any of the, the sites that you, you choose to use. Um, but, yeah, it's really just looking at, you know, the fact that, you know, I think one of the, the areas of, I don't want to call it concern for me, but where was the issue of, or was the idea of limiting the idea of racism to the police alone? Mm-hmm. And I'm not suggesting that there isn't ra- racial issues with the police. Of course there are. We can see that. Um, but the idea that that's the only place it comes from, to me, was a little bit absurd. Mm-hmm. And so to not tackle some of the other areas that we have some tremendous issues um, was was going to be a, a, a missed opportunity, in my opinion. So you know, and not just in terms of calling people out. That's not what this is. This is more, um, uh, you know, this is more identifying and talking about and trying to address, you know, some of the issues in the media. How do we broadcast sports? How do we talk about, you know, the athletes mm-hmm. in sport? How do we, you know, those types of things if we're talking about sport, if we're talking about media. Um, and what are some of the barriers and issues? And and, and I end every podcast with a, a small, medium, large concept in terms of how do we, figure this out. How do we start to solve? What can people do to start the process of, of, um, you know, change? And so, you know, this podcast is really about education and it's really to get people thinking mm-hmm. and to get people talking, uh, and to help inform people. Um, and, and then you kind of go from there, but I think education is a, is a tremendous starting point. Um, you know, and it really will help drive some of the conversations that have been happening everywhere in homes and offices, like, you know, and coffee, yeah. Oh, I guess not anymore, but over Zoom, I guess, <laughs> and and all these other places, um, you know, amongst families, amongst friends, um, you know, we, we have to really get to know what the issues really are and, and not just limit it to the police, include the police, but not just limit it to the police, because 
I would argue that, you know, uh, streaming, for example, in, in a high school yeah. has yeah. generational impacts, can have generational impacts, uh, socioeconomic impacts, right? Could, could, could keep a kid out of university who might want to be a lawyer or whatever, mm-hmm. right? You know, um, it could have other impacts that will last as long as somebody being stopped by the police. Yeah. I know that's going to sound controversial, but it's the reality, like not giving, denying people access to education in different ways, um, by spending them at higher rates, for example, um, and so on and so forth, can have impacts that are as great as Mm -hmm. other areas. So I think that that was part of it. And let's sort of be aware of how, you know, because I think people thought, well, it's the police and we're all immune. We, you know, we're, we're okay. It doesn't exist in our world. Mm -hmm. Well, no, it does exist in your world. And here are the impacts, right? Here are some of the ways it does exist. But, but along with that, it's here's how we can start to, you know, here are some ideas about how we can start to uh, not only move the conversation forward, but, but start to solve some of the issues, right? And I think, you know, um, although it's been done before, um, you know, removing the idea of streaming, as, as happened this week in, in Ontario, uh, is a great That's start. Fantastic. I know it's happened before and it was brought back, uh-huh. but, but, uh, but at least we're back here and we're in a place that, okay, now it's removed. And, and I don't know if people have an understanding of the barriers. I know people, I know that that almost happened to me in grade nine, you know, right. and again, you know, thank goodness. I was going to say, look at you now, man, you got a master's degree and everything. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy when you, when you heard, you know, teachers say, well, you're not, you know, maybe, maybe university is not for you or any of those types of things that, you know, those little microaggressions that you hear about all the time. And I have a, we don't have a, we could do a whole episode on that alone. Um, but yeah. And then, you know, all these years later, you end up with a master's degree. You probably have more education in some ways than others, right? Like you just, but, but those are the realities. We're all capable of learning and, and we're all capable um, of once learning, then applying our learning, all of us. Uh, and so that's what this podcast is about. It's about teaching and helping people learn and helping people think about things differently. And I say, I'm not always trying to change people's minds, but I'm helping you, you know, maybe reframe or think about what you already think in a different way. You know, if you, want to be racist great but just think about it differently and maybe maybe it'll change your perspective maybe it'll help you open help open your mind up to a different way of of viewing what you what you believe uh and maybe it won't and that's okay too but at least you'll be having the conversation yeah for sure no i listen i've 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 heard the podcast um it's it's fantastic i'm looking forward to the rest of the episodes definitely and then finally um you know what are some of your favorite memories from being in that raptors championship uh parade uh float i mean uh, I, I i read into your history a little bit you know so you grew up in the city you grew up downtown as well that has to be a surreal experience man to be on there for five hours and see everybody what was that like for you yeah i mean i've said this to a number of people like you know as 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 a guy who grew up downtown in region park if you told me you know 30 some odd years later i'd be on a championship float you know I would have laughed. Huh. Um, and so it was unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, there's no other way to describe it. It's something that I'll, I'll never forget. Um, you know, and obviously extra special for me personally, just, you know, um, you know, being from Toronto, mm-hmm. watching the team sort of form and develop and, you know, back in the Damon Stoudemire okay, days. Okay. You know, just, All right. So you're a day, yeah, you're, a, you're like right? a day one fan, yeah, everything like that. Okay. I mean, that, that was it because, you know, before that, we obviously, you know, we had the Bulls and the Knicks and those yeah, rivalries yeah. and it was cool to see the, the, the documentary come back, The Last Dance. But yeah, I mean, you, I've been a, a Raptor fan, um, you know, uh, for, for since the beginning. And then, getting to now work with the organization and be a part of that is like, you know, it's just incredibly, incredibly uh, special for sure. Um, 
yeah, the parade was a lot of fun. <laughs> it was really neat. I and mean, you had these moments where you're looking down Richmond or you, Richmond Street or you're looking down Wellington or King uh, and you're just seeing seas of people, yeah. um, you know, supporting. And it's just like, wow, you're reminded very quickly of the power of sport mm. and what we can do and, and, and how we can bring people together. Uh, and, and that's like the true value of all of this, right? And that's why it's lead to have, you know, Masai Ujiri, as leader being able to speak on a number of different topics because um, the job has been done as far as getting people to listen. And, and so now the voices need to be out. And, and so, you know, sitting in that parade and listening to, or watching, or even listening, I'd say to the cheers and looking up and watching, you know, in the buildings, you're seeing oh, yeah. just like littered <laughs> with people. It, it's, it's surreal. I mean, I can't wait for that to happen again. Yeah. You know, it's just, it's such a really neat, um, and an overwhelming feeling, you know, and thinking and wishing, and I'm sure everybody was, man, I wish everyone could be on this bus right now. Yeah, you know, I, wish, <laughs> you know, I wish everybody could experience this once because it, it, it's, it's uh, unique and it's different. Nothing I take for granted for sure. Mm-hmm. For sure, man. That's a, uh, it's a great way to end the show on such a positive vibe for sure. Um, coach, thank you. You've been so generous with your time. Um, you know, congratulations on everything you've accomplished so far and best of luck in your career going forward, man. Hey, thank you for having me, and uh, this was awesome. I appreciate your time. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did-we-just-hit-a-million-orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the Internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.